Welcome to the Father Jim Willig Gospel Teachings Podcast, presented by Heart to Heart, a Catholic media ministry. Father Jim was a well-known and much-loved diocesan priest from Cincinnati, Ohio. Inspired by God's Word, for many years, Father Jim presented a weekly Bible study on the Sunday Gospels. In 2001, Father Jim went home to the Lord after a battle with cancer, but his recordings and teachings live on to inspire thousands. First, we hear from Father Jim's good friend, Jesuit priest, Father Michael Sparrow, who opens this podcast by proclaiming the gospel reading. Then, Father Jim's illuminating gospel teaching follows. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Jesus said to the Pharisees, There was a rich man who dressed in purple garments and fine linen and dined sumptuously each day. And lying at his door was a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who would gladly have eaten his fill of the scraps that fell from the rich man's table. Dogs even used to come and lick his sores. When the poor man died, he was carried away by angels to the bosom of Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. And from the netherworld, where he was in torment, he raised his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he cried out, Father Abraham, have pity on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am suffering torment in these flames. Abraham replied, My child, remember that you received what was good during your lifetime, while Lazarus likewise received what was bad. But now he is comforted here, whereas you are tormented. Moreover, between us and you a great chasm is established to prevent anyone from crossing who might wish to go from our side to yours or from your side to ours. He said, Then I beg you, Father, send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they come to this place of torment. But Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. He said, Oh no, Father Abraham, But if someone from the dead comes to them, they will repent. Then Abraham said, If they will not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded if someone should rise from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. This is a wonderful parable that appears only in Luke's gospel. And Luke, you might know already, has a special interest in the poor and the needy, whoever that might be. Luke begins his gospel with the Beatitudes that I think explain this parable in the most wonderful way. You might recall Luke recounts Jesus saying, Blessed are the poor, 
the reign of God is theirs. Certainly we see that here in this parable. And he goes on to say, But woe to you who are rich, for your consolation is now. And we see that as well. But what does all this mean? Who are the poor and who are the rich? As we go through this parable and explain it, I hope you can put a face on these two men that are center stage in this gospel drama. We begin Jesus saying to the people, to the Pharisees particularly, once there was a rich man dressed in purple and fine linen and feasted splendidly every day. By the way, this rich man is sometimes referred to as dives because it's the Latin word for rich or rich person. So we could call him dives, who dressed in purple and fine linen. In those days, most people dressed, you know, in just a simple tunic and with a, a cloak that was like a coat they carried around with him. You always see Jesus in a simple white garment, tunic with a cloak of red, usually a red cloak. Very simple attire, and that's pretty much what they wore in addition to the loincloth, of course. And it isn't like they had many, many clothes. So the, the fact that this man was dressed in purple, that would it required a very fine dye, and only the wealthy could have afforded it, already suggests he's a part of royalty, or at least the very wealthy people. But even more that he feasted. The term feast was suggests an extraordinary celebration that is much out of the ordinary. Ordinarily, the fare for food was very simple diet. They were largely vegetarians because meat was very rarely eaten, except on special occasion. But did you notice in this line describing the dives? He feasted splendidly every day. Okay, that puts him in a high category of the rich and the famous, even in his day. And then we're told, in contrast to this rich man, at his gate lay a beggar named Lazarus, who was covered with swords. Jesus, being the great storyteller, is so descriptive. First, did you know, and I, I didn't know this till I studied it this week, that this is the only person in a gospel parable that is ever named Lazarus. Now that says something, okay? To be named is to be given recognition, to be noticed, to be someone who's important. And you see that the, what should I say, the comparison here already is being set up. The rich man's not named, but we know who the rich are, and uh, everybody know who's, who knows who Bill Gates is. But here... It's the poor man who's named. What a contrast. And the name he's given is Lazarus. Did you know that Lazarus is a Latinized version of the Hebrew Eleazar? That means God helps us or God help me. Isn't that wonderful? God helps me. And that's exactly what we see. This name Jesus very decidedly, intentionally gave him because that's exactly what happened. We're told that Lazarus lay at the gate. Now, this is very intentionally described. Lane suggests that this poor man is probably crippled or disabled in some way. And we know how that can be quite a handicap to some people. 
So, in all probability, he was disabled or crippled, and moreover, he was covered with sores, as many street people might be. And you've seen that. I know you know that. What's interesting is that the fact that he lay at the gate of this rich man. Obviously, he was laying at the gate of the rich man, hoping, begging, that maybe this guy might notice him and help him, right? Situate yourself in places where people would notice you. Like, that's why the cathedral is a place where you probably will meet some people who are asking for a handout. They know, all right, people going into church tend to be, you know, more thoughtful and mindful of helping the poor. The question I would ask you to ask yourselves is, do you think that the rich man ever noticed him? Do you think that he very possibly could have overlooked him? You know how when this has happened to me many times, I see a beggar coming down the street a block away. I mean, you can just sense him, you know. And the closer I get, the further my stare gets. Because you don't want to make eye contact. You know if you make eye contact, they got you, at least for a few minutes of your time. So how easy it is to look past them and not even notice them. Now add to that, of course, the thoughtful reflection about how we do that with the poor. But again, who are the poor? Don't think simply in economic terms, but for a moment, economically, I think of the what Margaret Mead, the noted sociologist, once coined the phrase invisible poor. Because they said we often, even our government has a way of hiding or creating a, a ghetto area for them. I learned that a lot when I was at St. Joe's and learned that whole highway just displaced, the I-75, uh, if you recall, displaced hundreds and hundreds of poor people. In a sense, you wonder, out of sight, out of mind? I, I don't know if it's always so conscious or even deliberate, but in fact, that's what sometimes happens. The next line is very revealing, too. It says, Lazarus longed to eat the scraps that fell from the rich man's table. Think about this. What are the scraps? Scraps is the garbage that this rich man will throw away. But when he throws it away, he's not throwing it in the direction of Lazarus. Again, we, I want to ask the question for our reflection, what are the scraps that we discard, that we don't even consider someone else could want? Of course, this weekend we had this what's called our church festival and had Granny's Attic. What is one man's garbage is another man's treasures. I thought of that. But, but even in terms of what we don't hardly think about, a smile a kind word. We hardly even think of that as being of much value. But I'll return to that point later. Little things, little pieces of our heart we offer could make a difference. And some people are starving for that little time and attention and affection and appreciation. Would you agree? And again, who is the rich man? us who may have been blessed with love in our life or have some sensitivity to the needy. One more point. Jesus points out that even the dogs came and licked his sores. This is not intended to be a sentimental touch to the story. It's a 
pitiful sight. It's saying dogs, especially in Jesus, they were considered uh, unclean animals. So it said, it just is very descriptive of this pitiful sight of this poor, filthy, dirty man. So it speaks to living like a dog, huh? That's driving home the point. Eventually, the beggar died and was carried by angels. Just think of that for a moment. Here is a man who couldn't hardly carry himself and truly hobbled along through life. But now, talk about going first class. He's carried by the angels. Where? To the bosom of Abraham. The bosom of Abraham is a biblical expression for heavenly intimacy and security. It's like when you see a baby in the arms of her mother. It's like, for what they know, that's as close to heaven as you will find, right? Safe and secure, well-fed, nurtured, loved and protected. And that's the image here. I think of the old spiritual rakamai soul in the bosom of Abraham. So what a wonderful image. In contrast to Lazarus' latest residence in his heavenly paradise, we see the rich man who likewise dies and was buried. We don't hear that he's carried by anything other than the weight of his sin to the abode of the dead where he was in torment. I just want you to focus on that because what we see here is a tremendous contrast of heaven and hell. He was in torment. And what tormented him was what? Part of what is what he now was missing out on because he saw far away Lazarus sitting in the bosom of Abraham and enjoying himself. It's a complete reversal of their former living conditions. Literally, the table is now turned. And now the rich man cries out, Father, Abraham, have pity on me. Send Lazarus to dip his finger in water to refresh my tongue, for I am tormented in these flames. Here, now, in the complete role reversal, the rich man becomes the beggar. Right? He's now the beggar who's outside the gate of heaven. But in a sense of irony, he is now asking for a mercy that he never showed in his life. And worse yet, even after death, even with this judgment, even with this vision, this insight into heaven, still he does not get it. He doesn't get it. He still considers Lazarus to be his inferior, almost like his servant, as he tells Abraham, tell Lazarus, he's given orders from hell. <laughs> I mean, tell Lazarus. I always imagine people who are bossy and say, well, someday they're going to be bossing you know, wherever they are. <laughs> tell Lazarus, send Lazarus. He's telling him what to do. He just doesn't get it. And so Abraham has to explain it. He says, wait a minute, wait a minute. Remember when you were well off in your lifetime, remember? Okay, think now. And Lazarus was in misery? Well, now it's changed. He says, now he has found consolation here 
and you have found torment. What Abraham is helping the rich man realize is what his sin is. And his sin, notice, was not that he had wealth or that he had riches. His sin was simply, it was not that he had done bad. His sin was that he did not do good. He did not share his wealth with others. He did not cross over that line that was the great divide between the haves and have-nots. You understand? And we think about this because so often we think we're good if we just don't do bad. But remember what one person said so well. The only thing that's necessary for evil to win out is for enough good people to just do nothing. And so this is, I think, for so many of us, our worst sin. And what is the sin? It is this. What Abraham describes is there is a great abyss between us. What's the abyss? That distance we create or allow between us and them, whoever that is. That could be the rich or the less than rich or whoever we find it difficult to get along with in life. That becomes the distance, you understand, between heaven and hell. That is because Jesus has always identified himself with the neediest of all, the poorest of all. So this gate, interesting, becomes an interesting symbol in this parable because it kept Lazarus on the outside, but, can I say it, it locked the rich man on the inside, inside himself, inside his little world. I absolutely believe our greatest fault is that we don't break through the barriers that keep us from crossing over to get to know each other a little bit better. And so when we do that, we allow this distance between us and the Lord. As someone once said, we are as close to God as we are our worst enemy. That's a scary thought. Can I say it again? We are as close to God as we are our worst enemy. And we have to cross over that abyss, which is a place of the heart, you understand, where we can find forgiveness, we can find reconciliation and reunion. I don't think Dives was such a bad guy. And I think if you would have talked the people in his community, they would maybe have thought the same. We, I, we don't know, of course. What we do know is this, and this is the interesting appendix to this parable. What I've learned in studying this is that this last paragraph was probably written as final commentary, which is an appendix, you know, to kind of explain the parable further. You remember the part where the rich man says, oh boy, am I damned now? My concern is for my brothers back at home. Father Abraham, can I ask you to send someone to my father's house where I have five brothers? Let him be a warning to them. Please do me a favor. Take care of my family. Abraham says, they have Moses and the prophets. Now, who's Moses and the prophets? The scripture. 
They have the scripture. The scripture tells them everything they need to know. And of course, the rich man says, um, I don't think that's going to do it. I don't, you know, it's like on Sundays, how many people take real seriously the scripture as their instruction for the week? So he says, look, I'll tell you what, if someone would rise from the dead and go back, boy, then they'd really wake up. And Abraham says, no, even if someone were to rise from the dead, of course, you know who is that person who rose from the dead. That's the whole point that Luke is recounting for his community. Jesus has told us this. He is risen from the dead, and he lives among us in the poor and the needy. Now, final point, footnote. Who are the brothers or sisters in the Father's house? You can guess. It's us. We're the ones. We're the ones that need to heed this warning, to take the message home. Of course, you can't help but wonder, do you think they ever got it? Did they ever go change? What would it take for them? Being the master storyteller, Jesus leaves that open ending to invite us into the story to write our own ending. You understand? We determine whether they change because the whole question is, will we change? I leave that with you. As I struggle and wrestle with this parable, as I'm sure you must yourselves, I offer these simple reflections. First, I know it does, this parable raises the question on a more literal level, well, what about all those beggars we encounter along the street? What do we do? How do we handle such people? Because I find people coming, I, I come across all the time. I imagine you do too. As a general rule, I want to share that I personally do not give money to any beggar on the street. As a general rule, I've made some exceptions to that, but as a rule, I do not. However, what I do try to do, and what I found more effective way to do, is to try to support charitable organizations that do a great work of taking care of the real needs of the real poor. And they're able to address the root causes of the poverty and to work with them through their needs in a more effective way. Does this make sense? I hope. So I'm not recommending that, you know, next beggar we see, give him a dollar. I would recommend that you heard me say the week before, my suggestion is that we tithe 5% to our parish, but 5% to our favorite charities. I would recommend, following that line of reasoning, you determine what are some of your favorite charities. God knows we can't give to all the charities that solicit us through the mail, especially, and even on the phone and in church. I mean, there's just too many. But which are the ones you want to support? And I think we need to use great discretion and where you feel your time, talent, and treasure can best support these. There are many, uh, and you know some homeless shelters, Bethany House, Drop-In Center, Women's Shelter, 
inner city schools, the SICE program, Catholic inner city schools. And may I say most especially from my vantage point, the St. Vincent de Paul Society, which whose feast we celebrate Sunday. I love our parish, St. Vincent de Paul Society, because first they help me deal with all the beggars that come across our door. In fact, this happened just last week. Beggar came to the door just as I came. He left. I said, this guy couldn't have wanted too much of a handout. Well, half hour later, I found out he did get a handout. He went and stole some money from our school to the tune of $500. So he got his handout. But again, that's I can't. you can't trust everybody. We shouldn't trust everybody. Who do we help and how do we help? So I just want to invite us through this parable to get behind those charitable organizations that we believe in and get to know them. It helps even volunteer with them to get the inside, you know, cross over that line to get involved and then we can support them. Amen. Thank you for listening to Father Jim's Gospel Teaching. We hope you have been inspired and will subscribe to this weekly podcast and share it with your family and friends. The mission of Heart to Heart is to proclaim the good news of God's Son, Jesus, to the entire world. For more inspirational teachings by Father Jim and Father Michael, visit our website, www.htoh.us. May God bless your heart and the hearts of all your loved ones.